Scripture is Romans 15, 1 through 7. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself as it is written. The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days were written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may, with one voice, glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another in Christ, as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, good morning, guys. My name is uh, Sean Myers. I am a pastor, a pastoral resident, a church planning pastoral resident at Redemption Arcadia. Uh, I've been here a couple times, so some of you guys have got to hear my story. I'm, right now, I'm in the midst of myself and a team. We are planning um, what we hope to be Redemption Peoria in the Northwest Valley, and so we're getting really, really close. You guys will actually hear about that uh, pretty soon uh, in a couple weeks as to where we are in the midst of that. If you can, please open your Bibles to, to Romans chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, <coughs> some people are coming down the aisle. Um, you can just slip up your hand real quick, and, uh, and, and they'll give you a Bible. You are more than welcome to keep that Bible. Um, I've already been given their permission to say so, so you can keep that Bible, and, um, and, uh, and you can follow along with us today in, in that. Um, so he, here's the deal. I, I don't want to... Uh, I don't want to just kind of move along, but, but there's a part of me that kind of uh, feels that we need to skip the pleasantries and kind of get into where we need to, um, because there's a lot to do, and we don't have a terrible amount of time to do it. So here's the deal. If you don't know, we've been in Romans for a very long time, um, so long that all the jokes about being in Romans for a long time are old, right? So, um, so just, we've been in it for a long time, almost two years now, and, uh, and we are in Romans chapter 15, so we are nearing the end. Now, if this is your first time, or you've only been coming for a couple weeks, um, you're coming in the midst of a, of a part of Romans that kind of doesn't even make sense um, unless you understand the totality of the book, right? So there's a kind of holistic view that we need to look at the book of Romans. So I think I can help uh, kind of catch us up in that process uh, to, to kind of get where we need to with Romans chapter 15. So I, I honestly believe the book of Romans is broken up into three sections. So I, I, I hope this will help you because if you were just to pick up the book of Romans, this is essentially what you would start to read. Chapters one through three basically lays out this idea that, I mean, you are, you're stuck in sin. Okay, like stuck. You, 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 it has you pinned down, and no matter how hard you fight, you can't get out. Now, how much righteous, like righteousness, you bring to the twa- to table, whatever righteous swag you think you have. There's nothing that you you can do for God to go. Yes, okay, let me remove that in that moment. There's nothing that you can do. No one is righteous. No, not one. No one calls on the name of God. And this is how Romans opens up, like this chipper kind of book, right? So, so kind of put in front of us. Hey, you're a sinner. And, and, and at the end of the day, you can't do anything about this. Both Jew and Greek, we are stuck in the mire of our sin. And as the book of Romans kind of takes this turn as we hit chapter 4, there's just this melee of grace for chapters 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, telling us that it's, it, it's not just that you are stuck in sin and that you can't get out, but it, God in his goodness and Jesus Christ's son takes care of that problem. And it goes on to, to, to explain that salvation is his to give. And then in all of his beauty, as stuck as you were, as messed up as you were, as it turns this corner, but there is grace. And you are saved, not based on what you do. 
So 51 out of 52 weeks on church on Sunday doesn't make you awesome. Like God is awesome and God in his beauty and his mercy saved you from that. You did not save you from that. So as it takes this turn and God in his beauty saves us with full grace and we hang on tightly to it. then as we hit Romans chapter 12, it's clear. It's 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16. There's a response to that grace. Like there are things that that we see that we should be and will be doing because of that grace. And unfortunately, some of us get that thing twisted around, don't we? Like I'm in this spot, but if I can do things, then I'll be saved. But that's not how the book of Romans is laid out, is it? If you were just to read this beast, one sit, you were just to sit down and go through this thing, you would see, okay, I'm stuck in my sin, but God in his goodness saves me, and now I respond to that goodness. Not I'm stuck in my sin, but because I'm awesome, then God saves me. That's not how the book of Romans reads. So the, the trick in it now is because we hit Romans chapter 15, um, we're, we're you know, a couple chapters into the, the, the midst of um, understanding what that response looks like, right? So um, from the very beginning, as we hit Romans chapter 12, um, the, the very first verse, like we understand that our life is to be this living sacrifice, that it's a, a reasonable act of spiritual service, that we should be giving our life, because of what Jesus has done, be giving our life back to him, Right? Okay, but here's what's crazy about this. The moment it hit Romans chapter 12, 13, 14, and now into 15, over and over and over, our response to God has everything to do with our response to people. As if the Holy Spirit is screaming, like the way you interact with the body. You can say you're a Christian, but the way you interact with the body matters. The way you interact with government matters. Let love matter. Let let you serve one another, contribute to the needs of the saints, honoring one another. As if he's putting in front of us in this moment to say, you can do all the right things, man. But if you're truly saved, how you treat people will change. Yes, there are days where I'm not a good father. But if I'm okay with that, then I'm really hard-pressed to wonder if I'm a Christian. Like, I can't continue to be a Christian and just a terrible co-worker. Be a terrible mom, a terrible dad. A terrible student, a terrible friend, a terrible family member. There are things and moments as we respond to the grace that we say, because of your goodness, God, man, I'm floating in this direction. I can't help but be carried away by your grace. There are things that I'm cutting away. So here's what I want to do. I I just want to talk about two things, right? Um, And the two things are, what, what should we be doing? Like, what does this look like? What does church look like? What should be taking place in the church? Um, and, and what should be motivate and ultimately what should be motivating that, the why behind um, that what. That's it, right? Now, um, for us to do that, I, I feel like um, we're going to need to do a little bit of background to kind of catch us up as to what I mean by the church. Because um, I think as you read the passage or you're listening to the passage or even if you're looking at it now, you're going to see the very first line in there. It says that we have an obligation, right? So anytime you're reading it, you're like, whoa, whoa, obligation. Like it's literally saying you have a responsibility. So if you consider yourself a part of the church, then what Paul, uh, I'm just, this is what the Bible says, there are things that should be taking place. You have a responsibility. You are tied to something. You have an obligation. This is expected of you. Now, when I say it like that, it's like, okay, Right? So I, my, my uh, senior year, um, I needed one more credit to get this mixed up, and it was an elective. So I got to take whatever um, course I wanted to. The problem is I was sick the day when everyone was picking the elective. So I came, and I had two options. I could have been an aide to a teacher, which um, everyone wants to do, except this one teacher. That's why it was still open. Um, right? and, or I could have been in performing choir, okay? And I was like, 
Yes, please. Okay. Um, so I joined, joined performing choir my senior year. <laughs> right? I've never been in a choir, never sung before. And the day one when we get there, um, the dude like starts to teach us. He's like, well, we need to get hit the ground running. So we're going to start learning. Day one, okay? So I sit in there and we start singing the song. You know, at first it's like, open the gates and seize the day. I'm like, I can get down on this. But then towards the end, he's like, he's like, uh, he's like all right, here we go. And he hands the sheet and we start singing. He's like, na musa nusa die. I'm like, what are we saying right now, okay? Well, he takes us a week later. Um, he's like, okay, we have to figure out how we're going to perform this song. And I'm not joking. This homie hands us a hood and a robe and a candle. And, he's, and, and he's, we're, he lines us up in two lines, and we are to walk down the aisle going, na musa nusa die, okay? Where am I right now? What have I done, Okay. Everyone is going to see that I've joined a cult, okay? <laughs> so here I am immediately going, if I would have known that was the cost, I would have been the aid, okay? But, and, and my point in bringing this up is to say, listen, we can say, yeah, I go to Redemption Tempe, okay? But if you're going to make that statement, you're going to call this place your home, then understand, I, I hope this morning that we would be put in front of us the cost of what that looks like. What is ex- expected? Of us. So when I say the church, I, I, I of course mean the universal church, the church since Jesus Christ um, of all time, everywhere. There's a lot of beauty. I mean, even now in our own city in the valley, we see such an eclectic uh, view of the church. We have people who um, honestly believe that you can't roll in a church without a suit or tie. Some people will wear board shorts, right? Some people um, say you can only sing the psalms. Some people just say an acoustic guitar, but no drums. Other people like would say keep the lights or, or rock band or, or whatever it is. Some people require fog and laser beams. You know what I mean? Like, there's just this weird whole process that when we begin to think of the church, that's way bigger, okay? Now, as big as that is, Redemption Tempe is a part of that church, but Redemption Tempe, our local congregation that we are saying we are a part of, is what I want to talk about for a second. So if you say you are a part of this body, the immediate question I think this passage is going to put in front of us is, what does that mean? What does that mean? So with that said, let's get to our passage. We pick it up in Romans chapter 15. Um, I'll read verses 1 and 2, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read the whole verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to go back, and we're going to, and this might be annoying for some of you, but we're just going to take two or three word chunks, and we're going to define some stuff, because I think it's important that we define this the way that we do, and then we'll be able to go through the rest of our passage a little bit faster. So um, this is what it says in verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Let's break that down. Here's the first thing that I I just want to lay out there. Um, The first thing it's going to say is we who are strong, and then it brings up this idea of weak. And I know um, Rick had unpacked that a couple weeks ago at the beginning of um, Romans chapter 14. I think he did a phenomenal job, ultimately saying that those who are weak are people who are saved, they're Christian, but because of their background, they're struggling with the sanctification process. They're struggling in how they grow with Christ because they're seeing certain things through the lens of preference and law, and they're seeing those two things together. Okay? And so because of that, they're struggling. And those who are strong get the totality of the gospel. They understand the full implications of what the gospel is. Okay? Now, here's all I want to say, the importance of bringing up this strong and weak thing. Because you already knew that what that meant. Here, here's what I want to say. It's clear from the very beginning that there are people in this room not like you. If nothing else, they're strong and weak. But if you read the book of Romans, there's a lot more. If you read the book of Galatians, there's way more. There are people in this room who have different political views than you, who are different race than you, who have different socioeconomic backgrounds than you do. And immediately as we come to the table, we have to recognize there's a diverse 
group of people, or at least there should be, right? Because our tendency is going to be homogenization and isolation. But the first thing that's thrown out there is there's people that are different than you. Some people are so strong, they got the Old Testament memorized. Some people are so new to the faith, they continue to call the book of Job, Job, right? So in the midst of this, there is differences. There is differences, huge, big implications to that. So um, a lot of you guys had heard the story when I, I, my story when I first, first come. I, I grew up with both my parents as drug addicts, and um, I grew up, you know, obviously poor because of that. We, we had spent the majority of um, my childhood, I spent the majority of my childhood um, homeless and, and staying in different places. And um, in the midst of that, there, there are two things that I definitely knew. One was that we were poor, okay, so that was a, a, something that I knew. And the second thing is I grew up with a lot of people who were not like me in race. So I grew up with pretty much all non-white people, okay? And so um, I was poor and, and non-white and, and grew up with a bunch of non-white people, right? And so because of that, um, it made my salvation really interesting because when I got saved, I was saved in this little charismatic church that was uh, in the ghetto. But when that church closed down, I ended up in a church in North Scottsdale, okay? So now suddenly, I'm, I'm 16, 17 years old, and I'm surrounded by people who are not not poor, right? Um, and, and are all white people. And, I, and though it's kind of funny, there's, a, there's parts of me that I legitimately struggled with how I can understand the people that I was around. I remember sitting down with somebody, and um, you know they had graduated uh, high school, and I just remember bawling. They were just weeping because they got the car they wanted, but they, because it wasn't the color they wanted, they honestly felt like their dad hated them. And I, I just, I remember, I honestly remember taking a step back going, it's, it may sound weird, but I don't, it's, that was so... Like, I, that made no sense to me. Like, I honestly didn't even have categories to know what to do with. Like, because she was honestly hurt. And I think, okay, I want to be like, you're really upset. But you just got a new Supra. Like, what? Like, like I honestly had no idea. To, and, and my point is, in the midst of that, like, I had buddies. I would have left that church, no problem, if my buddies wouldn't have stayed with me. Honestly, because who wants to be around people that are not like them? And yet Paul puts in front of us, this is part of the deal, man. That being around people pushes against all of your proclivities. That we should surround ourselves, that people that challenge our political views. I mean, that's one thing, socioeconomic. I mean, there is, there is race issues there. There is political issues there. We bring all these things to the table. There are different people. And that is not something we should run for, from. That, that is ultimately something we should run to. So I, ju- I just want to bring that out. Then the next part, um, and we've kind of beat this drum till there's a hole in it, with we who are strong have an obligation. So I've talked about obligation. So whatever we're going to talk about in the difference of who we are, um, we have an obligation. So there is something that is expected. And, th- and then the next two words are, are uh, pretty important. So here is our obligation. To bear. To bear. To literally come under, to feel the weight of, to experience what, between the strong and weak, the differences of what they're going through. To, to bear. I love how the New Testament uses so much familial language. I like talking about uh, a father in Christ, a son in Christ, a, a brother or sister. Like it talks about this as if, you know, for some of us, if we had somebody who we're close to in our family was going through something, the moment maybe a close fr- fam- uh, family friend or even just um, a family member got cancer, you would give everything. There's not one part of me that if one of my three kids or my wife got sick that required to give all my assets away and my dog, I would have no problem doing it. There's, no, there's nothing that I have that I would not, it would be easy. 
But we process bear as this weight. But I'm telling you, the difference of that is there is something that being a part of the Christ, that that weight is, is lighter than we want to talk about. So, so let, let's keep going because I hope this will make sense. So we have an obligation to bear. So here's what we have to bear with the failings of the weak. So I hope this is what turns um, the corner for us and we begin to really kind of understand uh, what he's saying. This word failings is actually uh, only appears one time in the Bible. It's right here. It doesn't appear anywhere else in the Bible. And it seems like a word that would appear a lot in the Bible. Um, and it actually has a lot of synonyms, um, but ultimately, legitimate, like the, the root word of what it's trying to get at, if you were to take it directly, has everything to do with hesitation and doubt. That's literally how it can be translated. That we would bear with those, we have an obligation to bear with those who have hesitation and doubt. So, so how many of us in this room have been in a moment where, and I'll just, like, I've legitimately, like, is this thing even real? Like, I feel like, God, you're not even there. And, and Paul is telling us in this moment, it's our responsibility to come alongside each other, to bear that weight and to know, listen, I've been there. I know what that feels like to feel like there is no God. I cognitively kind of can process it, and I believe that it's in the Bible, but there are moments where I feel like I am alone and he is not there. I have doubt and I have hesitations. I have weakness. And as a church, we are to bear with each other that. We are to come alongside each other with that. So what he's putting in front of us, he he goes on to say this, with the failings uh, of the weak, and then he goes on to say, and not to please ourselves, but let each one please his neighbor. Um, There's a great passage in in Hebrews chapter 3 that I think will help us get our mind around um, what ultimately he's putting in front of us. He says this um, in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Listen to verse 13 again. But exhort one another every day. So it gives us something to do. Exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So literally what's being put right there in the book of Hebrews is say, hey, continue to come around each other, continue to encourage each other, continue to exhort each other so we don't fall into the cul-de-sac of stupidity sinning over and over and over again, allowing our heart to be hardened over and over and over again. It's the Holy Spirit's job. He is who the, he's the one who does it. It's all on him. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And yet in this moment, we are told that we are the means by which the Holy Spirit uses to do that. That, that the Holy Spirit uses us brothers and sisters in Christ, to make sure that we don't fall into that ridiculous world and we don't believe those ridiculous lies. Like, honestly, put in front of us that this is, this is on us, guys. Like, to come on Sunday morning and, like, just, like, go to Redemption Tempe because it's cool, that is so lame. That's so lame. And that's not what's put in front of us. What's put in front of, like, everyone across this room, we have a responsibility to bear an obligation. This is something that is expected if you call this place your home to bear with one another. The weakness, the hesitation, the doubt of one another. And we don't do it to, to please ourselves. Again, it, it says this, and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor. He, here's the deal. Um, I'm a competitive dude, right? Um, and uh, in high school, <laughs> oh Lord. Okay, so in high school, um, I, I want to root for my whole team. I was playing basketball, and you're like rooting for everybody. But here's the truth, right? Um, if somebody was playing my position and they did terrible and that meant I got more playing time, I'm okay with that, right? 
Um, and I realized something, because I've thought very, like, I've thought many hours about how I, like, love somebody. And this is something, I'm not saying this is right or wrong, but this is something I re- really realize if I, I really truly love someone. Um, if their success means my detriment and I'm okay with that, I know that I'm in a place of love. So the family that adopted me, um, they had a son who was also playing on the basketball team with me. His name's Kyle. He's an Army Ranger now. I remember um, watching him play and thinking, even if he succeeds and all of his success means I don't play, I am totally cool with that. Like, I remember thinking, I honestly care about this dude. Like, I love this guy enough that I, I seriously am okay. Like, the, this is the epitome of marriage, right? Like, I want Candace to succeed in such a way that even if I look like a moron, I'm okay with that, which is often, right? Um, so, so the truth is, I, I know, and, and what we're being told here is that we're not to please ourselves, but to please others. And this is the mindset we have, what is best, okay? And that's ultimately what it says, which changes Everything changes the, the, the way that we even can see the scripture. So let's keep going. We're almost through these f- our first two verses. Let us please one another. So we have an obligation to bear with one another the weakness, the hesitation, the doubt of each other, okay? Um, not to please ourselves, but to please his neighbor. Hear this, for his good. So let's talk about what this passage isn't saying. You come alongside somebody and they are struggling. This is not talking about accepting them as they are in their sin. It's actually saying the opposite, isn't it? Like, what is best for them? What is their good? So my dad, um, he got his four-year chip two weeks ago. He's been free of meth for four years now. I was 20 years old, and he was still on meth. And I remember consciously deciding that um, if he was going to call me for money, which he did all the time, he'd always call me like five bucks for cigarettes, ten bucks for gas, or whatever it is. He would call me constantly. Um, and I have a bunch of dough, right? I'm working at Blockbuster at the time, which you know how they, that ended up. Um, and so... So I, I remember consciously deciding, okay, I'm not going to give this guy money anymore um, because I know if I continue to give him money, um, he's going to continue to do meth. So he, he calls me. I He calls me. Um, no, Dad. No. And the dude was pissed, right? I mean, so angry. Blah, 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 blah. All the things that obviously I can't say right now. Um, and, and I know that in that moment for me, to be the, the long-term friend and not the short-term buddy is for his good. So coming alongside someone doesn't mean just being the hero, okay? That means tough conversations. That means bearing the weight, feeling that, because even though I didn't have a lot of money, it would have been a lot easier for me just to give him money to get him off my back. But now I have to see him at Christmas and Thanksgiving. Now I have to put more time into that relationship to actually help him get away from this unbelievable, disgusting drug, so, so now there's, there's way more weight on that where I could have just thrown money at it. So you can understand this isn't just to please yourself, but this is for their good. And you're going to have conversations where you want to be the short-term buddy. But this passage is telling us, no, for their good, man. For their good. Be the long-term friend. But let, let's keep going. Then it says this. This is our last part. Um, to build him up. Um, and ultimately, I would just say this. This is, has everything to do with, it sounds like to me, a coach, right? So the means of all this is to get them closer to Christ. So let's recap, and I want to read something for you. Here's the recap of this, and then we'll move on. The recap is, th- is this, that everyone in this room, at least those who would say they are part of Redemption Tempe, you have an obligation. You are expected, according to the Bible, you are expected to come alongside someone, to bear their weakness, their doubt, their hesitation, to come alongside them Feel the weight of what that looks like for their good. So having hard conversations, being in relationship with someone, doing what's not always easy to build them up to Christ so they can know him well. I want to read a quote from, uh, for you from a guy named Kevin D. Young. It says, 
Um, it's from his book, The Whole in Our Holiness. This is what it says. It says, in more than a decade of pastoral ministry, I've never met a Christian who is healthier, more mature, and more active in ministry by being apart from the church. But I have found the opposite to be invariably true. The weakest Christians are those least connected to the body. And the less involved you are, the more disconnected those following you will be. The man who attempts Christianity without the church shoots himself in the foot, shoots his children in the leg, and shoots his grandchildren in the heart. Like, like what he puts in front of us in that moment is to say that uh, to remove ourselves from community is setting ourselves up from failure, not just because, um, not just because you, you couldn't do it, like you couldn't follow Jesus, but literally the way the, 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 the Bible would show us things are set up that we literally would need to, well, there I say, lean on me, right? When you're not strong. I'll be your friend. I'll be caring, right? Okay. Like this is, this is we, we are meant to be a body like that, okay? Um, now, with that said, that's a lot of weight, right? Okay, that's a lot of pressure. There's a lot to, to be part of a redemption community or, or a group of Christians to go, hey, your pain is my pain. When you rejoice, I rejoice. When you suffer, I suffer. That, that's a lot of weight. So, so in the midst of this, what motivates us to do this? What is the motivation? And we're found it, we, we find it in verse 3. This is what it says. Um, for, so because, for Christ did not please himself. So here's that this is, you, you know where this is going, right? If you've been to church a couple times, you immediately know what this is about, what I'm about to say. That we are to love each other. That we are to come alongside each other. That we are to bear each other's weakness, each other's hesitation, each other's doubt. Because that's exactly what Christ did for us. That's exactly what he did for us. You know this. You've experienced this. And yet, when I get home, if I watch Candace, my wife, if I watch her stub her toe, um, and she's like super angry, right, just dropping F-bombs. Um, no, she wouldn't. It would be funny to hear, but she wouldn't do that. Um, <laughs> she's just super angry. Um, and I go, honey, 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 pay attention. Hey, listen, just remember what Jesus did on the cross. No, no, just focus. Just, she's not thinking. She's not what, like, I, well, I'm not, yeah, she would be not happy, right? So in that moment, she's not thinking what Jesus did on the cross. She's just in the pain that she is in in that moment. And, and it's real easy, as an example, that's real easy for us to do in the midst of this. To be and come alongside someone, it's very easy for us to pull out and say, like, this is just too much. Clothes are different. Music is different. The problem is a bit much. Like, it's easy for us to do that. And yet our motivation is Jesus Christ, and yet sometimes we forget that. And then what's crazy is, um, he does something that I think is extremely helpful in verse 4. He says this, but as it is written, so verse 3, for um, Christ did not um, please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. He literally quotes a psalm. To say, hey, listen, I know in the midst of this, this is hard. This is so hard. Guys, when we, we had left that church, we came to Redemption five years ago, well, four years ago. We had no friends. And suddenly we're getting people that are around us. And we weren't even starting Redemption Community. We are just getting people around us. And I had zero things in common with these guys. I mean, computer programmers and teachers, and we're just trying to create this relationship. And some of them are like those conversation hogs, right? Like everything somehow, like, 
better because you're in the room. Like anything you try to say, they always one up you, and you're and you just and those are those are the awkward, and you're in the midst of that experience. And this is hard. This is very very hard. And yet here he is. He quotes a psalm to remind us of why we stick in it. Literally says like because the God of encouragement and the God of endurance, He is with you. And that is found in your word, and I can't help but stand back and say, listen, I, I don't want to get overly practical, but the truth is, like, one of the first things that can help us do this process really well is, is stop taking the, our Bible reading so lightly. Like, that we would stay in our word, that we, it would be a discipline. So we could quote a psalm, and we could remind ourselves of what Jesus did, because it's so easy to forget. And then he prays. Right? So p- pick it up in, in verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what's awesome. He begins to pray, and here's his prayer. He prays that we would have endurance and encouragement to live in harmony with one another. Again to say, hey, this is not going to be easy to live in harmony with one another. You're going to need encouragement, and you're going to need patience. You're going to need endurance. And I I mean, I don't want to oversimplify these verses here, but it seems to me that he goes, hey, here's two real practical ways to keep your eyes on the cross. That you would stay in your word, and that you would pray. Because as an obligation... Those of you who are in this church to say, man, I need to come along my brother, but it's not easy to do that. I quickly forget the cross. He would say, Keep, stay in our word and, and, and pray. And then he finishes um, with uh, verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And I, I've, um, I've processed, like, how, um, how should we finish this morning? I, I, I thought about it. I was even telling first, like, first service. I, I don't know the best way outside of what Romans 15 has just given us. I mean, even the idea in verse 1, that bear, is the same bear that um, is used that talks about Jesus bearing our iniquity, bearing our sickness, bearing our disease. I mean, that's the same bear, like him bearing the cross. That's the same word. And, and that's put in front of us. And I thought, like, I mean, practically we can walk out of here and I could say, man, you should join a redemption community. Like, I, gotta be, I don't know how you do this without being in community with people. How, how you follow the Bible without doing this. I, I don't know. Okay. You, you should be in community. So join a redemption community or get around other believers. But instead, this is what we're going to do. Um, I just want to do what, what the Bible says to do and to remind us um, of that story. Uh, he, here's what I mean. Um, I just want to tell you a story that some of you have been going to church your whole life um, know really, 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 really well. And maybe um, even if you haven't been coming to church for a long time, you, you know this story um, a little bit. But if you've heard it enough, there's, there's a little bit of callousness that slips in when we begin to hear this story. That we begin to hear, yeah, I, I know that story. I know what happens next. I know what happens next. I've heard how this thing plays out. And slowly uh, but surely what takes place is what used to cause affection within your heart suddenly kind of has you like, okay, I get it. And tune out. At what point did that happen? At what point did we stop being amazed by this story. Here's the story. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. It talks about a man, Jesus Christ, right? And we know his story because he is the visible image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. That through him all things are made that are made, whether heaven, earth, thrones, dominions, rulers, or powers. How strong is he? Suddenly we're reading a story that he's strong in this story. You're not strong. He's strong. Because all things are made through him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together? Are you serious? 
like still now being held together by this man, Jesus Christ. He's strong. He's the head of the body, which is is the church. You and me, he's over us. He is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, that in everything he may be preeminent. In him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So that man, that strong man, that awesome man, may we not forget how B.A. he is, because he's legit. You're not awesome. He's awesome. He is awesome. And how awesome is it that that the the Jesus that we read about in Colossians 1, if we were to take one strand of the gospel and just read this in in John, here's a couple verses that that might help you. That man that we were just talking about, John uh, chapter 18, it says this in verse 5, that one of his friends betray him. In 18, 15 through 18, another friend and many others leave him. Um, This Jesus, who's awesome. In uh, John 19, 1 through 6, a bunch of things happen. A A crown of thorns is put on his head. He is mocked. He stands before Pilate. This Jesus, who's awesome stands before Pilate and the people yell out that they'd rather take a murder someone who's murdered their family and friends take a murder over the Jesus of Colossians 1 15 through 20 he's awesome and yet they choose someone else besides him his friends leave him a crown of thorns is put on his head he is mocked he's again in the same passage verses 1 through 6 he is flogged in uh, 19, 31 through 37, he carries the cross to the top of the mountain. We're actually told in verse 23 that he does that naked. He's awesome? Like, that dude's awesome. The one who all things are made, like, the, the one everything's about. He's the head of the church. Like, he, he controls visible and invisible, thrones and dominions, and yet he is naked carrying a piece of wood up a hill. In that moment, we are told in verse 20 that he is reconciling all things by the blood of his cross. May we be reminded of that because our part of the story enters in in verse 21 of Colossians, where it says, you are hostile in mind, you are alienated from God, and you are doing evil deeds. But he made you holy, he made you above reproach, and he made you blameless. And the moment that story becomes calloused, the moment we begin to forget how good that story is, the moment we begin to step back and say, yeah, I get it, but what else? The moment we begin to um, relish and, and, and focus on other things besides the cross, everything gets out of whack. Guys, it's, it's, it's not your awesomeness. It's not how great you are. It's how great Jesus is. And because of his greatness, because we've been loved much, that thrusts us forward to be in community with each other. It says, I want to help you. I want to bear your burdens. I want to feel the weight of your pressures, your doubts, and your hesitations. And may we do that well. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you. Thank you for who you are and your goodness. I pray that this story would not become calloused, that we would remember what you've done the pain and the weight that you experience at the pinnacle of it all, you feeling the separation, the separation we should have felt from your Father, this cosmic abandonment in this moment to feel the weight of what that is. Jesus, we are so grateful. May that cause us, move us in a direction of helping our brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you, Jesus. May we take the one another's in the Bible serious. May we, may we greet one another. May we be devoted to one another. May we honor one another. May we live in harmony with one another, instruct one another, serve one another, be kind to one another, compassionate to one another, submit to one another, forgive one another, admonish one another, spur one another on, offer hospitality to one another, and above all, love one another. May we do this well. May this not be seen as optional. 
may we grab a hold of this obligation and love to do it with, with um, all that is within us. We love you, God. We thank you. We are so unbelievably grateful. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.